Good evening, good evening, and welcome to Line by Line. I'm Pastor Josh Hawkins. Really, really glad that you're with us tonight. Oh, I didn't move my microphone. That might sound a little better. Anyway, really glad you're with us tonight. Hope that uh, this Thanksgiving week you are preparing for eating too much food and enjoying the presence of family. I know I am. You know, I'm doing my uh, my my carb load stretches. Got to get ready for all of that food. Anyway, <clears throat> no, really, really excited about a good week, um, but even more excited about First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter two, which is where we're going to go tonight. So, if you would uh, uh, pray with me, then we will begin our journey. Glorious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your kindness, your mercy, Lord, the, the, all the ways that you show us how good you are. And I, I pray that as we dive into uh, this chapter, that uh, you would you would open some things up for us. Uh, there's some important things to talk about here. And Lord, I pray that we would have softened hearts and um, that our hearts would be prepared soil, that your word might, might be planted there and that might reap a harvest of righteousness for your namesake. I ask these things in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen and amen. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 1. I am going to try to get all the way through the chapter today. I think it's possible. Let's find out. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there is anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of knowledge of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Okay, that's the chapter. <clears throat> So let's dive in. So verse one. Now, remember, we talked about uh, Paul had planned on 
coming to Corinth uh, before he went to Macedonia. That was his original plan. He had let the church of Corinth know that, but then his plans changed. And when his plans changed, the people at Corinth, some of them, not all of them, but some of them, uh, weren't really excited about Paul. They said, well, we see how he feels about us. We see, you know, he did what... Uh, he obviously doesn't care about us. Should we even listen to him? He's fickle. He makes decisions, you know, like just constantly changing his mind, etc. So the gossip machine started rolling. And you guys know, everybody that's ever been in a church knows how easily that gossip machine can roll, right? Um, people start saying and accusing. And Paul is answering those accusations. And he started in the first chapter. Um but, and now he's finishing it in this chapter, to not just talk about why he did not come when he had planned, but also to talk about the letter that he sent instead of coming. Um, so he ended the last chapter by saying, I am a worker with you for your joy. That's 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 his goal. His goal is that they would be joyful in Christ and in each other. And, and that's what he's trying to do with his preaching of the gospel, with his leadership of the church, with his exhortation of the saints. He's trying to help them to be joyful in Christ and in each other. Um, so now we pick up. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. Um, so he had already been there and had to bring some correction. Um, then he heard of further issues, which he wrote the letter of first Corinthians. Now, some people say that there's a letter in between first and second Corinthians that we don't have. Um, and there's a way of reading this that would make you feel that way. I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, it doesn't really matter either way. The point is at this point in his journey, um, at this point in his journey, he wasn't ready to go and see them because he knew if he went now, uh, with his mind full of what he had already been told about this church, that he would have to come to them uh, as a corrector. He would have to come to them as one who needs to speak to them about the things that they need to do, you know, about the things that need to change. And he didn't want to do that. Uh, he didn't want to come in like a thundercloud and, and, you know, just, you know, I, I, you need to fix this and you need to fix, fix, fix that. And in the first letter to the Corinthian church that we, the one that we have, if indeed, I don't know that there was a middle letter in between first and second. If there is, we don't have it. Um, and, and as I read these letters, I don't see any reason why he couldn't just be referring to the first letter to the Corinthians here. But anyway, just in case you ever hear that, that there's a middle letter, I don't think there was, uh, personally. I think that the letter he's referring to is the first letter to the to the Corinthians, which we have. Um, so, in, and in that letter, I say that because in that letter, the one we have in our Bibles, Paul has to deal with, a, with multiple issues going on in the Corinthian church. Uh, he has to bring correction. And he's pretty forceful in the letter as to some of them, he has to correct them on the the way that they hold their services. Uh, it's it's wild. It's un. It's disorderly. Uh, everybody and their brother is speaking in tongues. There's no interpretation. The gifts of the spirit are all over the place. 
when they meet together for their love feasts where they would have meals together. The rich people are bringing their food and just keeping the, the, the food to themselves, and they're not sharing with the poor, etc. Uh, there are factions in the church where there are people that are arguing about you know different things and it's causing division. And there was a man in the church, which we'll talk about later, who was in an incestuous relationship with his stepmother. Okay, so <laughs> there were a bunch of... <laughs> Excuse me. There were a lot of issues going on here that Paul had to deal with in that letter, which is why I don't think that he needed a second letter. I think he dealt with a lot in this one. So now his plan is to go and visit them. Um, but thinking it over, he decides that he can say what he needs to say in a letter and hopefully maintain his relationship with them. The last time he saw them, it was a difficult visit. And he had a lot of things to say that were difficult for them to hear and difficult for him to say. And he just wasn't looking forward to that kind of relationship with them again. He was worried about them rejecting him as a leader. There was already conversation around that. Um, and he decided, you know what, I can put this in a letter and say the hard things I need to say in the letter so that and, and hope that they'll respond to that letter appropriately, respond to that letter with repentance, respond to that letter and 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 make some, some shifts so that when I see them face to face, what I can be doing then is congratulating them on their obedience and on the ways that they had decided to change um, and, and, and be more in alignment with Christ and with each other. So his hope was that the letter would get the ball rolling on the correction that needed to take place so that when he came, he could just congratulate them and be a, a, a comforting, warm, joyful presence. So in verse two, he says, for if I grieve you, and apparently in the Greek, that I is emphatic. So if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad, but you whom I have grieved. So it's like, it's like, look, I, I really want to enjoy my time with you. I don't, I, I want to come out. I want to be a joy to you. I want you to be a joy to me. Um, and if if I'm showing up just to bring correction, um, that's not that's not fun. I don't I don't want to do that. That's not conducive to the kind of love relationship that I want to have with you and that I want you to have with me. So, you know, he's I don't want to be the bad news guy. Right. I don't want to be the guy that makes you think, oh, great. What did I do now? Uh, I want to be a source of joy for you, Paul is saying. I want you to be glad that I'm coming. And I think that's an important point. I think we need to think about that in our own relationships, especially when we're in a position of authority. Um, you know, there are going to be times, whether it is at work or at home or at church, where some correction needs to happen, where hard conversations need to take place. I told somebody once that that uh, I get paid to have hard conversations with people. And, I, and some days I feel that way where I have to come to someone and be like, hey, you know, this isn't good what happened. And, and, and you know, some things need to change. Or, you know, uh, hey, I'm worried about you in this way or in that way. You know, that's part of the job of a leader is to have difficult conversations, which is one of the reasons why a lot of people don't want to be leaders. <laughs> Me, I will say that I don't enjoy being a leader when I have to be in that place, when I have to be the one who's bringing correction. And especially 
I'm with Paul. I don't want to be the guy that, you know, everybody's thinking, oh, great, here he comes. He's just got something else mean and evil to say to us. I want people to be glad I'm around. I want people to, to, to feel joy when they think about my, me coming, me being present with them. And if all I am is, is constantly bringing bad news, constantly bringing correction, constantly um, being in the space to ask people to do things they don't want to do or to, you know, et cetera, I don't want to be that guy. I just don't. I hate that. I don't want to do that. And so I totally understand Paul saying, you know what, I'm going to put it in a letter and then hopefully they'll be able to hear me in the letter. And then when I show up, we can just be happy, happy, joy, joy, right? I don't have to be this, the heavy, you know, in a lot of parent, you know, in a lot of homes, there's one parent that's kind of the disciplinarian and the other one that's kind of like, you know, not, you know, good parent, bad parent, right? And, um, um, that's not fair to make one parent kind of bear the brunt of of of, of discipline. You know that how are they ever going to build a a a relationship with their children that brings joy, that brings pleasure, that 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 really communicates more than just you're not good enough. Hopefully, in whenever we're correcting, whenever correction is taking place that communication isn't happening, that we're never saying to someone, you're not good enough. But it would be easy, even even when somebody is really great at bringing correction in a kingdom loving way, it is still easy to receive that as you're not good enough. You're, you know, I, um, it's easy to receive it that way. And Paul doesn't want to be that guy. It is hard to do. It is. It is painful and difficult, which is what he says in in verse three. I wrote as I did so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. So there's a few things here. One, it's still that, you know. He wants, he, he had confidence that if he wrote this in a letter and he was really careful about how he wrote the letter, that they would receive what he had to say and begin to make those kind of changes because they could see through the way he wrote that he loved them and that all of this was about his heart for them. This wasn't any kind of, I'm better than you. This wasn't any kind of, you're not good enough. No, this is about... I see you, I know you, and you can be better than you are being. And, I, and it's about calling them back to their identity in Christ. And he said, look, and when I wrote this letter, this was painful for me. I wept and wept because I, I, this, I don't want to be bringing hard words to you. I want to be bringing encouragement to you. And yet I, have, I had to bring these words because if you stay on this path, you will not you will not end up at the place that is best for you. Um, I, I love you too much to let you keep continue moving in this direction, even if it means that I have to say some things to you that are hard. You know, parent, there's the cliche when a parent's about to spank their child. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Well, I, um, uh, I don't. <laughs> uh, I hope that that's true with parents that are 
that are punishing their children in whatever form they choose to punish them, that 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 to that the reason I'm bringing correction is not about me lording anything over you. It's not about me um, uh, enjoying exercise uh, exercising authority over you. This is about. Uh, uh, I, you know, I just know that there's something better for you, and and these behaviors are 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 difficult. And we so often, when we're the recipients of correction, we so often interpret it incorrectly, and we so often don't receive it in the spirit that it's given, especially when that correction comes from God. But here's the, the you know. We, we kind of get this picture of God as this wrathful, angry, I, he wants to throw down lightning bolts at you kind of a God. And, and that is not who he is. God is the same way. When God brings correction, it is from a place of sadness. It's from a place of sorrow. It's from a place of hoping that you will hear him and turn toward him and leave behind these things that are stealing from you, these things that are destroying your life. I love you too much. You know, the Lord years ago told me, I love you too much to let your comfort stand in the way of your destiny. And I did not enjoy hearing those words because I like liked my place of comfort. But the Lord was saying to me, I, I can't allow you to stay there because what I have next for you requires that you behave differently than you're behaving now. You need to, you need to shift. And these pressures that I'm allowing to come into your life are coming into your life to prepare you for the beautiful thing that I know uh, is your destiny. But you you have to move down this direction, even though that that is going to be a difficult thing for you to do. And and I. I love that and I hate that. I, you know, the, so many different times that the Lord has done that for me, brought correction, brought a change of direction that I did not want and was not looking for. Um, that's always hard. That's always difficult. That's always, uh, it, it's heartbreaking, you know, it, and, um, and I, I'm not, I'm, I'm never looking for it. You know, I, I, I it's 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 not enjoyable. God never comes to us in a this is what you deserve and this is what you're gonna get kind of attitude. And so he comes to us saying, I want better for you, and you can have better, but it's gonna require a difficult choice, an uncomfortable choice in the present. Um uh and I would say this to you as well, in whatever place that you have authority over someone else. Make sure that when you bring correction, and you know there is going to be a day where you're going to have to bring correction, make sure that when you bring correction, it is filled with mourning and tears and not out of some sense of this is what you deserve. As soon as you've turned that corner emotionally from you deserve to be punished you know, into that place where where that's your attitude, that's right. I hope this hurts. As soon as you've gone there, you have left the kingdom behind. You have turned to coercive power, which is the opposite of the power of love, and you have uh, and you 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 have become toxic, and you've be, you've stepped in to the way of the world, which is so easy to do because 
that's what we've experienced our whole lives, right? But um, and 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 we've kind of been told that we're allowed to 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 feel that way, that we're allowed to, you know, have righteous wrath and anger. No, we aren't. Um, uh, that's not that's not kingdom. Jesus said, you know, the 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 authority figures in the world lord their authority over those that they're in authority of but in this kingdom in this kingdom the greatest in this kingdom is the servant of all so that's the posture we need to find i'm here to serve you uh and however i use this power and position uh uh is 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 to wash your feet it's not to come down from above you like and beat you down. No, it's about it's about lifting you up, about platforming you, and about and about and about positioning you correctly, um, so that you can discover uh, the fullness of your potential. That's what kingdom leadership looks like. It's servant leadership, and when we have to bring correction. Um, it needs to come from a place of, of, of mourning and sadness and not a place of anger and righteous indignation. That attitude has no place in the kingdom of heaven, period. Verse 5, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. So now he's switching gears from the more general corrections that he needed to make so that had to do with the feasts that had to do with the with the um the gifts of the spirit had to do with the factions and now he's going to talk specifically about a correction he needed to bring in regards to one individual man and that was the man in their midst who is in an incestuous relationship with his father's wife um it wasn't his mother but it was his father's wife and because of that it was inappropriate and unacceptable but the corinthian church this is in first corinthians chapter five by the way the corinthian church not only had not corrected him but they kind of celebrated this relationship like they were okay with it and i mean they, they were excited about how see how tolerant we are see how forgiving we are um they, they were totally making space for this uh, relationship that Paul says even the Gentiles would have had a real issue with, uh, and uh, and 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 Paul says that man does not belong in the church while he is still in sin, and I find this this part difficult to talk about, and I'll tell you why. I, I have really rarely ever seen dis church discipline done correctly. Um, I've hardly ever seen it done in the right spirit. I've hardly ever seen it done in such a way that brings restoration. Now, in the Corinthian church, apparently it did because um, apparently they did remove this man from fellowship as an act of discipline. And in result the and the result of that was that he had forsaken this incestuous relationship and was repentant and wanted to return. So that had the outcome that was desired. The, and that always has to be the desirable outcome. 
when I say I haven't seen it done correctly often, I, maybe once or twice have I seen it done correctly. Um, I have a dear friend who uh, was discovered in um, serial adultery and correction was brought. And he stepped stepped up to it and said, yeah, I am wrong. I am in the wrong. He repented and sought counseling, etc. And today, that man is still a member of that church, still married to his wife. And they're moving forward in what seems to me to be, uh, uh, obviously I'm not in that house, but um, they love each other. And they are still together and they are still involved in that church. After a very public, very difficult correction was made. And that's amazing to me. Um, that's what it's supposed to look like. And the goal always in the church of correction is restoration. What we want is to see this person repent and be made whole and be brought back in and reestablished in our midst as a full-fledged member of our community. That's what we want. And in order to, you know, we, we will we will exercise church discipline in order to see that end come about. That's that is our desire. Um, and and often in the church world. I have seen church discipline carried out in a righteous, indign righteously indignant kind of manner. No tears, no mourning, um, just anger, and this is what they deserve, and a casting out, like, we don't want you here. We don't ever want to see you again. You just get away from us. That kind of an attitude where it's like, you're a problem, and we're removing the problem from our midst, and we and that's it. And there's no effort to see grace flow and people restored. Um, uh, and that breaks my heart so much, but I've seen it over and over. Um, but, I, but First Assembly did it right that time, or at least as much as I couldn't tell from the outside, they did it right. And that and, and it came about correctly, the the repentance and restoration took place and that's that's glorious that's beautiful that's the gospel we love that um and apparently that's what happened in the corinthian church as well so the punishment uh, verse six the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow i urge you therefore to reaffirm your love for him that's verse eight so Paul is saying he repented and he has he has come back. So restore him, forgive him, comfort him, bring him in and help him to, to, to find his place again in the family of God at the table. Help him find his seat and let him know he belongs there. Restore this man. That uh, Reaffirm your love for him. I love that. I love that. I love that because that is what we're we are wanting to do. And here's the deal, friends. It is so easy, so easy uh, to, to only partially forgive. Uh, but forgiveness in the church is real and total 
and we're forgiving and we're for, and 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 we're moving forward. I have a little bit of an issue with the idea of forgive and forget. Um, I don't think we forget. No, I don't think we forget. Um, because that was an important milestone in our relationships. And when I say don't forget, I don't mean always remember, like I'm never going to let this go. Not that. No, not that. But we can't forget what's taken place. And it's important that we remember. <laughs> that we remember that, that, that this process happened. Because we're going to have to have some sensitivity towards one another around this issue for maybe forever. And that's okay. That's good. That's fine. Um, but definitely forgive and restore. Forgive and restore once repentance has taken place. If this man was still in that relationship, Paul would not be encouraging them to forgive him. If repentance had not taken place, forgiveness um, uh, forgiveness might be offered, but restoration will not be offered. We always forgive. We forgive as much for them as for ourselves. We need to let them go and forgive what they've done to us. And that's fine. Jesus offers forgiveness to all of us all the time. But restoration and relationship only comes from a from the place of repentance. It's only there in the place of repentance that restoration can take place. And that is what the our relationship with God is the same way. Forgiveness all sin has been forgiven, all of it. But restoration has not taken place. Relationship with God has not taken place until we repent. You can go walk up to the most sinful person on the planet today and tell them you've already been forgiven because that's the truth. All of sin is forgiven. That's done. For, all of sin is forgiven. But that's not what saves you. Forgiveness doesn't save you. Forgiveness is what makes salvation possible. It's the foundation upon which salvation can be built. But salvation is a restoration to relationship with God. That's what salvation is. Salvation is restoration to relationship with God. And forgiveness has to take place first, and it already has. But restoration has to take place now. Now, you and I, God, God and you, and the people of God have to build a relationship with each other. And that relationship is what salvation is. Loving God and loving neighbor is acting out our salvation with fear and trembling. Does that make I hope that makes sense. That's a really important, when we talk about, we talked about this on Sunday, um, we talk about the kingdom of heaven. That's not just going to heaven when you die. The kingdom of heaven is the, is being in a relationship with God and with the body of Christ. It is a state of being, the kingdom of heaven is. And it's only in that space where you're, you have an active, loving relationship with God and a loving relationship with the other humans that it's in that state. That is salvation and that's why Paul says I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling I am I am learning how to love God and love people and and that state of learning is discipleship is salvation that's what we're doing and that's never going to be complete in us we're always going to be being saved 
That's what we're, we're always in the state of being saved by Jesus. He is, he has brought us to this place and his, the work of the Holy Spirit within us is saving us every single day. I hope all of that makes sense. Um, that's, that's a deep, that's, those are deep waters that I would love to continue to, um, to explore those, but not, not in this study. So Paul says, reaffirm your love for him. Restore that guy. Make him one of you again. All right. Verse nine is switching gears again. Another reason that I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. So Paul was also wondering, you know, what's my relationship with these people now? You know, I had a, a uncomfortable visit with them. And then after after that uncomfortable visit, I find out that they still were not in a good place. Um, will they hear me if I write a letter to them? Will they even, you know, am I welcome there? Uh, is 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 my authority as a leader welcome there? There's a there's a phrase that that is used in leadership circles called leadership capital. And that is like how far if you're in a position of leadership how much influence do you really have with a group of people? And we're encouraged not to use up all of our leadership capital in things that don't really matter. In other words, um if I'm if I'm really, you know, I I need to recognize that that as the leader of our church that I've been given a certain amount of permission to ask things of the people of our church. Um, but there's a limit on that. Um, and I need to be cognizant of the fact, aware of the fact that that limit is there. And if I try and breach that limit, I actually can break that kind of tacit agreement we have of leadership. I hope um, and I think Paul is testing the waters there. What is my relationship with these folks? If I'm going to go back and see them again, I kind of need to have a barometer. I need to know uh, what what our relationship is like after that difficult visit I had with them before. Um, I really, I, I, I need to understand, are we okay? And his this letter that he sends which I think is the first letter to the Corinthians that we have, uh, is his way of testing those waters. His way of... I don't know. <laughs> that, was, that was weird. What was that? <laughs> I don't know what just happened. Uh, could you see that thumbs up next to my head? That was weird. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that was. Something in my video uh, software here uh, did that. <laughs> okay, anyway. <laughs> um, so he's testing the waters. He's trying to see, uh, you know, how are things going? So verse 10, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there is anything to forgive... I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. A uh, lot to say here. So Paul is participating in the unity of the church. He is, he is saying, if you're ready to forgive him, then I'm ready to forgive him. 
Um, so, you know, let's forgive him together in unity. Let us have the same mind together um, of forgiving this man. We act as a body. What harms you harms me. What brings you joy brings me joy. This is what it means for us to be together in Christ. That hopefully we have the mind of Christ together and I'm feeling what you're feeling. You're feeling what I'm feeling. That we live in this state of, of connection and, and we love and enjoy each other. We act as one body. And Satan loves to come in and sow disunity in whatever way that he can. Paul says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for not we are not unaware of his schemes. And the primary, there's, there's two things here that we need to we need to glean from this. As weapons against the enemy, serious, important things that you and I need to pay attention to as weapons against Satan. Are you ready? Weapon number one is unity with the body of Christ. Okay, that's weapon number one. Weapon number one is standing in unity with the body of Christ. Even if you don't quite agree or you, you're not super excited about where the body of Christ is, to, to lay down our own opinions for and say, but I am going to stand in unity with the body. I'm going to say, yes, I stand in unity with the body of Christ. This is where this is. We're going to do this together. That unity, that unity is a powerful, powerful weapon against the enemy. Um, a little over a year ago, every once in a while, I'll get these warnings from the Lord that, uh, that, that the enemy is kind of launching an attack. And um, a little over a year ago, I had a dream where we, the church in Fremont, um, were standing in a circle shoulder to shoulder to shoulder and we were praying for each other uh, and we were facing inward and um, and we were really tightly connected to each other like um, and and the way that we were standing next to each other there was no gaps in between us and I saw the enemy coming and looking walking around us walking around this circle that we made and 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 trying to insert himself trying to get in, but we were so unified, we were so connected to each other, arm to arm, shoulder to shoulder, that he couldn't find a way in. Um, but he was really trying, and I felt like the Lord was saying to me, warning me, that the enemy was going to attempt to bring division, and that we needed to shore up our unity with one another. We needed to, to choose together to be unified and to not allow the enemy to come in. And that he couldn't get in if we didn't let him in. So that unity, my friends, is a really, really big deal. And learning how to operate in that unity is radically important. Because as soon as there's a gap between you and me, the minute there is, he's going to dart in and cause trouble. He's going to come in and cause trouble. Number two is forgiveness. And forgiveness is one of the primary ways that we maintain unity. So forgiveness, the Bible in several places helps us to understand that unforgiveness is like an invitation to the enemy. When we refuse to forgive each other, when we harbor a grudge, when we harbor unforgiveness, when we when we agree with the accusation of the enemy against one of the body of Christ, 
We have given permission. Come on in, Satan. That's what we've done. We have opened the door and we welcomed him in because he is the accuser. And when when we refuse to, uh, to join him in accusation against our brother or our sister in Christ, and we, and we stand in forgiveness and unity, the enemy can't find his way in. These two things are of radical importance in our fight against the enemy. And if we don't want to see the enemy uh, able to get into our communities and to bring destruction, we have to remember to stand in unity. We have to remember to forgive and restore. We have to, this, these, these are two really important things because the enemy will come up with lots of schemes to try and destroy our unity and to try and hold us in a place of accusation and unforgiveness. And if you find a place of accusation in your heart, find a way to forgive that person. In my daily liturgy that I pray, right after I pray the Lord's Prayer, which in the Lord's Prayer it says, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And in, in one of the versions of the Lord's Prayer in the Gospels, I'm not sure which one it is, but in one of those, I think it might be Matthew, in one of the versions of the Lord's Prayer, the Lord after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, Jesus actually says to them, because if you do not forgive others, our my Father in heaven will not forgive you. Woo! Okay, which is scary. That's a big deal. Did it just do it again? There, oh, check that out. I did not know that. that... <laughs> I didn't know. Anyway, I'm sorry. So apparently if I do a thumbs up, a thumbs up appears on my screen. Maybe you can't even see that. I don't know, but I can see it on my screen. Okay. Um, so um, Satan loves to sow disunity in whatever way he can. Where was I? Okay. I, I got distracted by technology. That happens more often than I would like to admit. Um. We need to stand in unity and we need to stand in forgiveness. And when we forgive, grace is also released to us. And uh, when we do not forgive, it's an open door for the enemy to come in. Or as Jesus said, it, the torturers to come in and cause pain and strife and difficulty. Um, we have to be aware all the time. So when we find a place, oh, that's right, my liturgy. Okay, so uh, in, in my liturgy, after... Uh, after the Lord's Prayer is another um, is another prayer that that I kind of pieced together from several different liturgical prayers that I found throughout the you know throughout the great tradition. Um, but I actually pray this, so I pray this almost every day. Father, I pray for any who have sinned against me or who have hurt me in any way, whether by choice or by negligence. Lord, do not hold this sin against them, for you are full of mercy and compassion for all. Please give me the grace to forgive, so as to imitate your perfect love. Father, I choose to forgive and release them. They owe me nothing. Forgive me for not loving them as you love them, and enable me to see them as you do. Father, release to them and to me your new mercies for this day. So that's a prayer I pray all the time. And, and I just sit for a minute. And ask the Holy Spirit, who knows my spirit better than I do, 
to bring to mind anyone that I'm that I've got a grudge against, anyone that I have accusation against, so that I can release them and forgive them. And uh, and sometimes I'm really surprised by the people that float to the surface of my mind. People I didn't realize that I was that I was holding some kind of accusation against them. And I and I and I begin and I, and I forgive them right then and right there. Does that mean that I am done? Uh, like, does that does that like fix it immediately? No, it really it doesn't. There's something, but I but I begin by choosing to forgive, and then I ask the Lord to help me to find that you know to 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 see this accurately to understand what what is it. What is it that, uh, that, 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 that's going on in my heart against that man, that woman, that organization, those people, so that I can love them appropriately? And I, I do that because I know what damage can be wrought in my own heart and in my relationships um, when I'm holding on to accusation and unforgiveness against someone in the body of Christ. And it is radically important that we learn how to forgive in order that we might stand in unity and that the enemy might be defeated. Amen? Okay, so just a few minutes left. Let's try and finish up these last five verses. So Paul is is continuing in in, in his explanation for why they he did not come to Corinth um, and why they're getting a second letter from him before they see his face again. Um, so... Uh, verse 12, now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Okay, so here's the picture. Okay, so Paul goes to Troas and he has a decision to make when he gets to Troas. His original plan was to go to Troas and then turn south and go down to Corinth. That was what he was wanting to do. His plan was to stop at Troas, preach the gospel there and then head south to Corinth after having established a church in Troas. Um, and then from Corinth, he was going to go back east to Macedonia. Okay, so that's his plan right now. He was going to go to, go to, he was going to Troas, and at Troas, he was going to go to Corinth, and then he was going to go to Macedonia. But his hope was that in Troas, he would meet Titus. Who's Titus? Well, you know, they didn't have a postal system back then. And so if you were writing a letter, you actually had to send it with someone. And Paul sent Titus to carry his letter to the Corinthian church. So Titus was the one who carried the letter, the first letter to the Corinthians, to Corinth, to deliver it to the church there and to help them understand it and to answer any questions they had about it. He was not only the first, he was the first to carry, he carried the letter, but he was more than a mailman. He actually carried the letter in his heart so that, so that he could hand them the words of Paul, but also help them understand it and respond in an appropriate way. And what Paul was looking for when he got to Troas was he wanted, he was expecting to meet Titus there so that he could hear from Titus how they had responded to his letter. Okay. So I don't remember where he was before this, but, um, before Troas, but he sent his first letter to the Corinthians from there with Titus. So Titus goes to Corinth. In the meantime, Paul goes to Troas and he had told Titus, take this letter to Corinth, 
do what you need to do there, and then come up and meet me in Troas, right? And tell me how it went. Come up and meet me in Troas and tell me, did they receive the letter well? Did they hear what I had to say? Did they respond well? And when he gets to Troas and Titus isn't there waiting for him, and he waits at Troas for a while and does his what he's in Troas to do, but he doesn't see Titus, he doesn't feel like he can go to Corinth yet because he doesn't know how they responded to the letter. Maybe they tore the letter up and beat up Titus and he doesn't know. He doesn't know what happened. He has no idea how they've responded to his letter. And so he doesn't feel like he can just go to Corinth, assuming that things went well. So he just decides to just move on to the next stop in his journey, which is Macedonia. Rather than going to Corinth and going to Macedonia from there, he just goes from Troas straight to Corinth. Um, so that's what happened there. I hope all of that made sense. But uh, that's what happened. Um, and then uh, he says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. What is going on? Well, now Paul has spoken to Titus. Titus met up with Paul in Macedonia instead of in Troas, assuming Titus eventually got to Troas and found out Paul had already gone to Macedonia. Then he would have followed Paul to Macedonia. Now Paul and Titus have met up. Paul knows how the Corinthian church responded to his letter. He also knows that the Corinthian church is wondering why Paul never came. So Paul's writing this letter and he's sending it to Corinth. Um, and, uh, and he's saying thanks to God because he realizes they responded well to his first letter. And he's saying he, he pictures Jesus as leading them in triumphal procession. Okay, so what does that mean? He leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. So there was a, a thing that happened in the Roman times where a general would go into an area and he would conquer that area and then he would return to Rome um, and he would have with him captives that he took while he was there and riches and wealth that he had still taken from that place. And they would they would have this big party, this big parade through town that was called a triumph, a triumphal procession that would go down the streets of Rome saying, he won, he won, yay, he won, you know, and, and everything was good and they won and they got all this stuff and isn't that awesome. So Paul is saying, here I am once again, a trophy of Jesus' victory, me and you together. Jesus has won the victory in our lives and here we go. Uh, we we are we we are symbols of the fact that Jesus has again invaded the territory of Satan, and he has brought back captives out of that and into uh, and 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 into life and light and joy. Uh, and he says we are spreading the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. What does that mean? Well, one of the things they did in these triumphal processions was they would burn large amounts of incense. So you could probably smell this, this parade all through the streets of the town. Maybe even before you ever saw it, you could smell it because these big fragrant clouds of incense would follow the triumphal procession. And not only that, but after the parade has already gone by, you can still smell it hanging in the air. That's the aroma of the knowledge of Christ's triumph. And Paul is saying, here I am, 
I, I, I am, I am spreading the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. The fragrance of Christ. The processions burned that incense. So even when Paul has left a place, they would still carry the knowledge of God because Paul, who had been won by Christ in his fight against the enemy, had been there and left behind the fragrance of the knowledge of God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And Paul says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. Okay, what's that talking about? Well, if you're a Roman and you smell the the incense, you know, um, you might run down to the street to celebrate with everybody that the army has won another, you know, a, another thing, and Rome is doing great, and our economy is doing awesome, and 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 aren't we amazing, right? So, to Romans, the fragrance of that incense would have been really good news. We won another triumph, right? And every time they'd smell it, they would think, "Wow, isn't it great to be a Roman? Isn't it great that that we that we're a part of this thing that is conquering the world and 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 that is just doing awesome and covering the whole earth?" Uh, and they had a lot of reasons to be proud of being Roman, right? But imagine you were an enemy of Rome <laughs> that's been conquered, that fragrance would be the fragrance of death to you. That fragrance would be, no, I see you celebrating now the way you celebrated when you killed my friends, destroyed my town, and came in and took everything away from me. That is not the fragrance of life to them. That's the fragrance of death. Paul is saying, as we walk in the triumphal procession with Christ, some are going to see it and rejoice, but others are going to see it and hate us for it. They're going to see us and that fragrance that we carry as the fragrance of death, that it's not a good thing. And here's the thing. Uh, he says, and who is equal to such task? To carry the fragrance of Christ is both a beautiful and amazing and also really hard sometimes. There's been so many times I remember in high school, you know, there was a guy, good friend of mine, who who I witnessed to all through high school. And there were times, I remember one time I'm just sitting on the bus and I'm just minding my own business. And he comes in and it gets in the seat in front of me and says, shut up. I see you looking at me like, you, like you're so much better than me, which I was not doing that at all. But just my presence was making him feel guilty <laughs> because he knew that Jesus was working in me and making me more like Jesus. And so every time he saw me, he felt convicted. <laughs> you can imagine that that uh, that wasn't an enjoyable feeling for him. And I and I but and that's true. We run into that all the time when we're trying to to just follow Christ the best we can. And people don't receive that well. You know, people that are feeling that are feeling, what is up with that? It keeps doing that. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I got to change that setting. Um, so, <laughs> um, we, what was I saying? <laughs> so we need to, we need to realize that some people are going to receive us and our, and our relationship with Jesus in a way that is not enjoyable. They aren't going to enjoy the fact that Jesus is present in our lives. I hope that makes sense. 
Verse 17, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. In other words, sometimes this is great. Sometimes this is hard. I'm not here just for the good stuff. I'm here because I belong to Jesus. Amen? All right. Well, that's it. We made it all the way through the chapter. Not a long chapter, only 17 verses, but covered a lot of good stuff. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you. We love you. Lord, I pray that as we walk through this, uh, as we think, how do we forgive? How do we stay unified? How do we exercise authority in the places that we need to exercise it? And Lord, how do we bear the fragrance of Christ in our world in a way that will cause people to rejoice and not cause people to hate us? Lord, give us wisdom. Be with us and comfort us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I love you. Have a great Thanksgiving week. Be filled with gratitude, and we'll see you next time.